Our next scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 10, which is found on page 957 on the Pew Bible, and the words will be on the screen behind me, and as you find that, if you would stand as pastor comes to read this for us. First Corinthians ten, fourteen to twenty two. This is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak. As to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice... They offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May it be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider God's word, let us pray for his help. Almighty God, we come once again to your word. And we are looking to it for guidance and for help in these moments when we, when we look forward to a coming change in, in the regular practice of our congregational life. And, and so as we think about receiving, when we think about celebrating the Lord's Supper more frequently, help us here and now to, to think well and to process well what it means to receive this gift regularly, but responsibly. And help this to add value to how much we cherish what we will do in the life of our church. And so uh, we ask that this is a, a moment for sanctification, but also for encouragement about what you use your means of grace to do. 
in the lives of your people. And so give us clarity about what it means uh, as, we, as we come towards this change in how we receive communion. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. We ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were walking through the jungle for some odd reason and, and came upon a warning sign that said, turn back. Well, its message actually seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? We have to change course for another direction. The way forward isn't safe. Our take is clear on the, or at least it should be, on the proper reaction to the danger signaled by that sign. Now, the thing is, that warning doesn't mean leave the jungle. In fact, well, you kind of have to be in the jungle to see and be instructed by this warning. There are safe ways to be there. And clearly, there are also dangerous ways of being there. And as we reflect on the Lord's Supper in preparation for celebrating communion weekly, we're thinking about the supper as as an incredible gift which Christ wants his people to have, even though it has an, an accompanying responsibility. Christ gave himself for us to save us from our sin. And as he instituted his supper, he explained, uh, the bread at least, in Luke twenty-two nineteen, this is my body which is given for you. The supper is for you. Meaning Jesus wants you to have it. Because it it signifies and seals a a reality that is for you. Namely, new life won for you by Christ. Jesus Christ, then, is for you. And so his meal is for you. Something for you to have. What did he say as he blessed the bread. Take, eat. It's an instruction to do it. What did he say as he blessed the cup? Drink, all of you. He instructs us to receive his meal, not fear it. Etched on so many communion tables is the little phrase, do this in remembrance of me. And the critical part there to emphasize is Do it and remember him as you do. The point is that we ought to celebrate the Lord's Supper as if it is a gift from Christ for us. We should not come to the supper with funeral dirges in our mind because the man whose death that this meal marks rose from the grave. 
So we don't have funeral songs to sing, even as we remember this death. It's a meal about channeling life from the risen Christ to his people so that we receive spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Now, this two-part sermon series considers the issue that if we should celebrate the Lord's Supper and should do it weekly, how can we do it well? There is responsibility accompanying this gift. Now, everything we've said so far just reviewed last week's point that our responsibility that we have in the supper does not undermine that it is Christ's gift to us. It is a gift of grace that he wants his people to have so that we are built up in the wonderful things that he has done for us. And so we cannot turn the supper into a way to, to make people think that they, they began the Christian life by grace, but find continued acceptance with God only if we measure up in a special particular way. We can't do that. We, we risk suggesting exactly that mistake if we say that we're welcome to the supper only if we've achieved a special sort of sanctity in, in the lead up to communion. Christ's meal is a means of grace given to strengthen weak Christians who need his help and spiritual nourishment. And with all of that in mind, we also cannot dispense with the clear biblical teaching about taking the Lord's Supper seriously. Because, it, because of the nature of this gift, we cannot do it flippantly. And having thought about how we can take the Supper weekly, because it is a gift given to Christ's people for our good, we also need to think about how we can come responsibly. We, we must relate the grace of the supper and its accompanying responsibility clearly so that we keep grace plainly in view, not unduly making the supper a burden rather than a help, but, but also see how the supper is a motivation and help unto greater holiness and walking faithfully in the Christian life. And so our main point today is that we flee from sin because we receive the supper. We flee from sin because we receive the supper. And our three points are risk, redirection, and responsibility. So first, let's think about risk. Um, and this point reckons with the reality that there is risk built into the responsibility that, that accompanies the gift 
of the Lord's Supper. We have to grapple with the Bible's real warnings, prompting us well, to consider how we take our participation in this meal seriously. You now, we're going to come at this from, from two angles. The first angle is, is to see the danger itself. And that's what this point is about, recognizing it and relating it to a wider concern for the seriousness of all our worship. Now, uh, we, before we get to, to our passage that we've read, we, we see the intensity of the, the danger in question if we look at, at 1 Corinthians 11. So, uh, verses 29 to 32 say, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The danger appears in how anyone who takes the Lord's Supper, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself or herself. Now, for our purposes, we're not going to dive into the specifics today of what it means to discern the body. What is clear for what we need is that we risk God's judgment if we come to the table in an unworthy manner, an idea that we're going to take up shortly. In verse 30, we, we see the stakes. People were participating, well, heinously in the Lord's Supper. And that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Improperly taking the supper can result in even death, it seems as the Lord's discipline for abusing this means of grace, given for spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Now, I don't think that that means that these people who died weren't saved. I don't think that that's what is happening here. But God's discipline is ending the opportunity to live in a way that dishonors God. And so he's removing them from the situation that's causing their unfaithfulness. And so in light of that, we're, we're right to remember our responsibility at the supper. But, but we also rightly remember that our responsibility in worship is not limited only to the supper. Now, back in January, I, I preached uh, urging us to consider the gravity of worship holistically. We, we thought uh, about how worship is treading into God's very presence, escaping annihilation here 
only because of Christ's grace. Yes, there is risk in coming to the supper. We won't downplay that risk, recognizing that it's no small thing that people died because of how they received the supper, as Paul recounted for us. We won't downplay that, but we do, we do reckon with how the Lord's Supper is not uniquely risky in worship. Let's think about Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira sold some land and and they offered part of the proceeds to the church. And, And the problem there wasn't that they gave part of the proceeds. The problem was that they attempted to deceive the church into thinking that they gave their whole proceeds as an offering. Now the result of, as we see from that account, I mean they both, God killed them both on the spot. And we see from that that the result of coming to the offering unworthily can be death also. Now from a human perspective, I think that we might, you know, assume that giving money to the church is the one moment that we might be safe to come even and properly before the Lord. God's going to be happy if I'm here giving money, however I do it right. But this account shows us that God cares that, well, he shows us that he cares about every aspect of worship, and he shows us that he cares that we take every single part of worship seriously. There's not a uniquely risky aspect of what we do here. All of it is coming into God's presence and coming out safe because of Jesus Christ alone. So, we can't neglect our responsibility to come to the supper in a worthy manner. We also cannot neglect that this responsibility for worthy conduct applies to all of worship. Hebrews 12, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Coming into the direct presence of Almighty God, as we do in the assembly of his people when we gather for worship, well, that always contains risk for sinners. Namely, because we're safe only as we come to him in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second point, redirection. Redirection. So the, um, we thought about the, the first angle for this question and the second angle to think about how to take participating in the Lord's Supper seriously is how we ought to respond to that risk. So we've seen the risk and now, now we want to think about how do we respond to it. When you come across that sign 
in the jungle declaring that there's danger, well, what should you do? Well, do you tear down the sign so that the signal about danger is out of your presence? Or do you heed the warning and turn away from the the danger that it marks? So our main point for, for this whole message is that we flee from sin because we receive the supper. And we have to connect the dots about relating this need to, to flee from sin, well, to how it relates to our participation in the Lord's Supper. And so we need to dig deep into what that means for our posture about communion, particularly as we come to celebrate it. To, I guess to put the, the same idea, the main point, in a, in a more expansive way, well, we don't avoid the Lord's Supper because we sin. Rather, the alternative. We fight against sin because God gives us the supper. We don't sort of sit with sin and not take the supper. We take the supper and run away from sin. One of the reasons why we, we need weekly communion is, is actually because of, of cases of corrective discipline, right? It's, it's kind of easy to avoid our censure being barred from the table if we have infrequent communion. We can just skip that Sunday once a month and neglect confrontation with the meal that ought to be prompting our repentance, and so have this excuse, have this ongoing way of indulging our ongoing non-repentance. And so frequent communion puts this prompting to repentance. Well, in front of people who are repenting to give us help, and then in front of people who are even blocked from the thing that ought to help them repent, you're so far gone that God's going to remove this means of grace. Now, God wants us to have this meal of communion with him. And he wants us to repent of our sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, I mean, part of the problem was that the Corinthians had split the church by favoring the rich, even during the Lord's Supper. Now, I think it's striking. I think it's really striking how despite how the problem was so bad that people died, Paul didn't say, stop taking the supper. He said, fix the problem. He, he didn't say, avoid the meal. He said, take the meal the right way. Verse 33 so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. You weren't waiting for one another, and you still need to come together to take it. But do so without the problem. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22, the problem there was that 
some of the Corinthians participated in religious meals at pagan temples. And Paul explained this pagan practice's incompatibility with taking the supper. The the reason that he gave is because the supper is communion with with Christ. When he comes to us in this meal to, to feed us, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And And he emphasized his point. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Now, he is setting a dichotomy between the Lord's Supper and pursuing sinful practices. But what does he say to do? His solution wasn't to make sure the Corinthians measure themselves to see if they should take the Lord's Supper. It wasn't Well, dive into introspection to see if you can reconcile how you're doing things. Just like the problem in chapter 11, his solution is not that they should avoid the supper, but that they should turn away from sin. Don't neglect the means of grace. Neglect the sin. Verse 14. This is his leading exhortation. Therefore, my beloved Flee from idolatry. That's the application. Flee from sin. Because God gives us his means of grace. So, one of the things coming out of that is that the Lord's Supper should not be a cloud hanging over you to... Think endlessly about how far short you fall. The supper is God's means of grace for sending you away from your sin. Now yes, if you refuse to repent, and, and, and if you commit to a godless course, or if you have not joined yourself to, join yourself to Christ's body in church membership, Well, those things keep us from the table. Verse 17 shows how taking the supper is about being joined not only to God, but also to one another as members, as real members of Christ's church. Because there is one bread, we we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. The, The union is not just vertical, but horizontal, too, binding us to one another. But that ethical implication of the church's unity never means to move away from one another. It it means to set aside any conflicting practice that endangers that unity with one another. And likewise, the ethical implication of our responsibility to come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner never means flee from the supper. It means to flee from sin. Now, since the supper 
is an occasion to, and, and a help unto repentance. We're going to spend the next five weeks thinking about repentance as a key aspect of the Christian life. I, I realize what I've done here is give you the principle that we, we need to repent, and, and there hasn't been a lot of practical uh, insight on that. So that's coming. <laughs> the supper is, in some, though, a redirection away from sin toward one another in the church, and most importantly, toward Christ. And that brings us to our final point. Responsibility. Responsibility. Um, given, given that we've seen that there is true responsibility in, in how we come to this table, the move to weekly communion is, I mean, to be blunt about it, an expression of trust. This, this session believes that our, that our members seek the Lord and want to be faithful to him. We believe that disposition characterizes this church's people. And we trust that this congregation's members are examining themselves as we come to the Lord's table and so we, we worry less that our church family will abuse the supper than we desire to get means of grace to you often because all of us need help in the Christian life. And so, I mean, one of the things about that is that moving to this practice isn't a criticism of congregations who decide not to do this. This is just the way that we think we've assessed our place as a congregation in the Christian life and trust you to come without abusing this and realize that we all need this exact sort of help as we walk with the Lord Jesus. Westminster Shorter Catechism 97 says, It is required of them that you that would partake worthily of the Lord's Supper, that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest, coming unworthily, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Now, we should pull... Two applications for, for taking the Lord's Supper in a, in a worthy manner or, or responsibly. First, we should think well about taking the Lord's Supper weekly, uh, namely uh, the alternative of not doing so. You know, what, what sort of drives people not to want to do this? Well, it's... It's a bad motive to avoid frequently celebrating communion if, if the reason for wanting to avoid it is to, is to avoid its prompting to repentance. 
Right? On, on the one hand, uh, our thinking is seriously flawed if we accept our sin and so want to avoid the supper so that we can indulge our complacency in sin. You see, I mean, that's just the, the, the flip side of our main point, that we flee from sin because we get the, the supper. It doesn't follow that if you avoid the supper, it's fine to sort of hang out with your sin. And so we cannot be content with sin and, and therefore neglect the table's commission to repentance. We cannot flee from the supper to set a, a lower bar for our repentance. We should be eager for the opportunity and the help to repent. On the other hand, on the other hand, the supper does not require a special sort of repentance, as if the weeks we take communion require extra holiness. Didn't we hear even in our Life in the Church moment that that the Christian life is about ordinary things, not about certain moments of special things. The Supper's responsibility might suggest that we cannot repent adequately for taking the Lord's Supper weekly. Now that's sort of true. You, can't, you can never repent adequately to, to warrant this meal. But we can repent truly. And and thinking that there is a way to repent adequately to warrant anything from the Lord is a mistake. Because we can seek after true repentance. I mean, the, I guess the payoff of this is that the bar the, on the flip side, right? The, the bar of the Christian life is not lower on weeks that you don't get the supper. <laughs> it's the same. Always. And, and the supper is a help for diligence in the normal patterns of repentance and holiness in the Christian life. We need it regularly because it confers grace unto regular repentance. Now, now, second, we have to deal further with, with how we can never be worthy of the supper, but can come in a worthy manner. Those are different. We cannot deserve communion with God in his meal. It's a means of, of grace, we, we can, though, take communion in a worthy manner by coming repentantly. And so it's not about, so coming to the table is not about, well, we, we hit a place where we don't need to repent of stuff. If you think that, you can, that you've overcome enough sin that, that you sort of have min- minimal need of repentance, that's how to get to the supper. Well, that's actually, that's actually the red flag. Okay? 
quoting 1 Corinthians 11, our catechism says that the worthy manner includes examining ourselves in discerning Christ's body in faith and repentance. Recognizing the thorough and deep need for repentance is, is part of this. But this examination is not about finding yourself worthy. The examination is about the worthy manner. It's about assessing where you need growth. It's not an examination about your achievement, but about recognizing your need for Christ and trusting in Him. Because that is precisely what the Lord's Supper is about. We do it remembering Christ. Coming to take bread and the cup, thinking about Christ as the one who rescues us from everything that might make us feel like we don't belong at the Lord's table. The primary responsibility we have in the supper is remembering Jesus. That he has freed us from the penalty and the power of our sin and continues to do so. That he gave his body and blood for us that we might belong to him. Christ gives a meal to you because he gave himself for you. Giving us full reason to flee from sin and to flee to him to find grace. He sets the table because he wants to commune with you. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that it is a a time of moment when we come to your table, that, that these are real and amazing things as we deal with this bread and this cup. What a thing that Jesus Christ has promised to meet us here, that he gives us this bread, and this cup. And that this is a participation in his blood and in his body. And we know real communion with him here. And because of communion with Christ, we, we come to him to turn away from our sin. And so help us, as often as we come to this, this meal, that we do so in remembrance of him. And wanting to be nearer to him and so further from our sin. So help us to be excited about every time we receive this bread, this cup. That it might give us all the more reason to flee from that which would separate us from you. And even as we go into this week, we pray that that effect isn't just here at this table, but that it resounds into every moment of our week. That we cherish the Lord Jesus and long to be nearer to him, further from our sin. We pray it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.